The Digital Last Out presents Tino Mobile, show number 96, for Thursday, November 24th, 2011. I'm Jose Ortiz. I'm Jason Coombs. How you doing, Jace? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Jose. Yeah, I'm very, very good. Sorry for uh, letting you down last week. <laughs> it's all right. I, uh, I I tried to do my best and, and hold it on my own. I'm sure you did an amazing job. Um, and we and the night when none of us could make it except you, we actually had a an email, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell <laughs> mailed in, and uh, I mean, we we kind of uh, emailed about it back and forth. So um, I was able to to give Russell a, a cohesive response and um, emailed back and uh, he once again expressed his disappointment for Windows Phone 7 not uh, supporting SMIME encryption um, and I think he said he's going to give the the um, iPhone utility a shot and, and see if that helps him out so yeah, it's unfortunate, really. Microsoft, as they often do, they they tend to go down the proprietary route, and the way they support encryption is through the information rights management of Exchange Server, which you know, it's we've gone beyond those days. You've got to support open standards. You've got to support you know everything possible if you want people to adopt your devices. I was listening to um, Windows Weekly with Paul Thurrett and Mary J. Foley, and they were saying that you know. Microsoft's kind of got to wake up and realise that probably in the future their market share is going to be about 30% because people will no longer, there won't be people like myself that kind of live in the Microsoft world. They'll have, you know, they'll do this, they'll do, have an iPad for one task and maybe a, maybe a Windows PC for another task and maybe an Android phone and just, you know, they'll, they'll pick the best device for the, for the, um, that need. So, you know, they really need to get this interoperability working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, as we we're t- talking just before the show that uh, you threw me a little teaser, saying that you haven't been using the the Iconium much. Uh, why don't you expand on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I haven't haven't been using it very much at all, and um, which probably sounds rather disastrous, but it's because I can't get near the thing. Um, my family seems to have adopted it. Um, my wife uses it in the uh, in the kitchen while she's cooking for um, kind of BBC iPlayer and um, and watching TV. And my kids kind of use it. They like to look around the Star Wars website on it and the Lego website. And so it's, it's kind of finding it free to actually use the thing. I mean, I know I could insist and use it, but I, I, I'm just so pleased that the whole family's kind of taken to it and and really gotten into using it. Wow. That, I, I must admit that that it's surprising for me to hear that, uh, you know, your family, which I'm assuming isn't as, you know, technically inclined as as you may be. I'm assuming they're just you know, just like everybody else, kind of everyday, uh, regular people. Uh, that they've they've taken to it and and seem to be enjoying it as much as let's say an iPad. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, definitely. They, they, I'm, you know, pretty envious of them. Really, they're in, they're, they're the kind of people that that use technology for for using it and, and want to look past the technology. They just want stuff to work. You know, as me, I tend to kind of put up with all the little niggles and workarounds and and whatnot. And but no, they've they've completely taken to it. Like I say, um, I think Windows 8 has got a big big part of that. Um, I, I don't think it would be getting so much use if it was just Windows 7. Um, but yeah, my wife kind of plays some of the the games that the interns wrote, and 
Um, I say my kids use it for for browsing through the websites. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's working out really really well. The only the only limitations that I've really come across are limitations that are kind of inherent in the web, in that it's great you've got IE ten, um, which is you know has its immersive um, version. But it doesn't escape the fact that websites aren't designed for touch in the majority of cases. It's like, you know, you try and use Twitter and Twitter's all based around, um, a lot of it's based around hover points. Mm. You know, you have to hover the mouse over a tweet to pick up the reply and or retweet. And, you know, with a touch device, that just, you know, it really doesn't work. So, um, so no, it's it's working out really, really well. I'd say the, the battery's lasting pretty well. No, obviously it's not iPad standards, but I think the the biggest the most interesting thing is is how varied the um, on-demand websites is. So, for example, I mean, it it's only got an AMD Fusion one gigahertz processor in it, um, and a, an AMD um, uh, graphics card. Sorry, not AMD. It's um, yeah, no. Names escape me. It's not Nvidia. It's the other one, ATI, ATI mm. graphics in it. Um, and the BBC iPlayer, which uses Flash, streams so smoothly. Um, you know, you can literally watch it, put it on full screen, and it's you know, it's like it's a more powerful machine. But the um, the other on-demand services from like our, our ITV and Channel Four, uh, they're so stuttery, and I just can't understand it because you would imagine that. I mean, it's got Flash 11 on it, so it should have hardware acceleration, so mm-hmm. it should be making use of the graphics card. But um, but no, I mean the. Uh, I think it's the four Channel Four website. The streaming is really stuttery and really bad. But I think that's partly the fact that it is quite a low, a low spec machine. But like I say, the BBC iPlayer streams, you know, perfectly well. So, but no, I'm really pleased. It's, it's working out really, really well. So, yeah, that's great. I mean, that it, it definitely piques my interest a little more now that uh, I I hear that it's it's being used. Um, Mr. Bannard's, you know, then that kind of goes to say that it, it must be pretty user friendly. I mean, if that's the case, you know, it's it's not so much a Windows layout, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I mean, there's definitely a massive piece of the puzzle missing, which is all the all the apps. Um, so you don't really live in the immersive um, Windows 8 environment much, um, particularly with Flash not being supported in the immersive IE 10. Um, so you are kind of still living in a kind of Windows 7 world, but it's the fact that you can at least, you're not trying to click an icon on the taskbar, you know, you can pin pin things to the new Windows 8 start screen, um, which just makes it so much easier for starting apps. And like I said, my wife has been using some of the the intern written applications, some of the games, so it really, it's really piqued my interest. I think as as the operating system reaches the beta stage with Media Center back in it, um, and I would hope maybe the marketplace opened up like they did with with Windows Phone. The marketplace opened up before the the product launch, so I think that will make make a big difference. I think so far my biggest disappointment with it, um, but again this is Windows 8 Alpha, um, the developer preview, so um, to be expected. I mean they said Media Center's not in it, but I was actually surprised to find that it doesn't actually play. Um, the WTV files, you just get audio. There's no video, so obviously the codecs and everything to do with Media Center is missing. Really? Yeah, but I mean, it will play. You know, it'll play AVI files. So, so um. So standard media will play in. Yeah. Up, just nothing, nothing related to, to Media Center. No, and like I said, I knew Media Center wasn't in it. I just, I don't know why. Just a big assumption on my part. I kind of thought the codecs would be, 
will be still in there. So I don't know if we are going to see some some small changes to Media Center as when it finally does come back into the product or quite what, but. Yeah, well, with uh, with Windows Seven, right? We we went from uh, was it Windows Seven or Vista that went went from DVRMS to WTV? Uh, Windows Seven was the WTV, or it might yeah. actually. I think it might have been the TV pack. So it kind of was the Vista, but that was only available really through OEMs, although there were various places you could get hold of it. So I think it might have been the Vista with TV pack because the WTV was needed to support high definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, hopefully, uh, you know, CES is just around the corner, so maybe we'll get a, a new, a new beta out there, uh, of Windows 8 with some media center sprinkled in. Yes, yeah, it'd be good. And like I said, I think once the, once the marketplace opens up and, and the apps start to appear, I think, um, I think it'll, it'll really come alive then. So definitely worthwhile watching. I think Microsoft, yeah. you know, could could potentially turn the thing around. Whether or not they'll turn around the sales, you know, and, and get up to the levels of the iPad, um, we shall see. But I think they've certainly got the operating system to compete in yeah. the tablet space. So yeah. All right. So moving up from from uh, that, I I think we should maybe go into. We had some kind of general mobile news this week. Um, you want to kick it off with that uh, first story you got there? Yeah, sure. This was a, a video that was on the um, BBC um, Click um, program that um, is like an, uh, I think it's a weekly online program. Um, they were just kind of looking into the um, growing phenomenon of, of people p- kind of paying less and less attention to the TV they're watching and actually kind of splitting their attention between two screens. I mean, I mean, really, it's kind of I guess the iPad is really to thank for that um, that people are, are now. Um, watching TV, but they're also tweeting, they're updating their Facebook status, you know, they're checking into services like GetGlue and, um, is it Miso? Mm-hmm. The other one? Um, yeah. You know, kind of checking into that and, and also that, um, people like Disney have got services whereby you can actually use like a, um, a tablet or, or device to actually, while you're watching the film, you know, actually throw up information a bit almost like you um put almost like you when the dvds first launched and you kind of watch it with the with the director narrating it um you know it's it's now moving on and people are you know say doing more than one thing at once and almost to the point where again the advertising is suffering because while the advert breaks are on if it's a live show people aren't watching the adverts they're picking up their ipad or their or their iphone or you know whatever smart device it might be and they're tweeting about what they're watching and and, you know, as the phenomenon of social networks grows, you know, you can even be having conversations with, with the director or the producer of the show or the people in the show. You know, it's uh, it's really altering people's viewing habits. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. Um, it's funny. There's TV shows that I will specifically say, okay, this is a TV show I have to sit down watch give my full attention to just because i'm that into it or because it's it, it can be that maybe convoluted where you know there's plot twists and and i like to catch all those things and there's other tv shows where i kind of just put in the background i don't really care about it. i'm just watching it just because i mean at this point maybe i feel like i'm already invested in it because i've seen so much of the season already or uh you know kind of just something more to have in the background um such so as like Terra Nova, for example. <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, I'll have my laptop or my iPad or, or my phone. I'll have something where I'll, I'll be doing stuff uh, at the same time, uh, whether it's texting, whether it's checking Twitter, checking out websites, uh, you know, going to Amazon and, and, you know, almost clicking buy it now from, on a bunch of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. And, um, it obviously does interrupt the viewing experience because I still made the conscious decision of, you know, when I watch a, a specific show that I know I'm into and, and I know I want to dedicate to, I make a conscious decision to not look at my phone, to, you know, not have my laptop with me because I realized that, yeah, I, I probably will miss something. Um, if anything, just the visual as I, as I pay attention to the audio, but, um, it's it's definitely a trend I'm seeing grow, um, uh, even when with friends and family. That's you know they'll they'll be doing something they'll be distracted by, even uh, uh, something as, as with such a small screen as as the iPhone or, or you know whatever smartphone they have. So yeah, I mean I know for example with the, with the Formula One there's a there's a great iPad app that kind of shows you all the timings, the positions of the cars on the track, and and also. Um, you know, like I say, there's you know TV shows that are on, and um, you know if my wife's watching something time shifted, she actually turns off her Twitter client because she doesn't want to see people talking about the show, and <laughs> and um, and even to the to the point now in the UK, shows will actually you know throw up a hashtag before and after the ad breaks. You know, it's, it's clearly they they appreciate that people are are talking about the show while it's on, and you know trying to encourage that that hashtag use and you know interaction and and. During that that click video, there's actually a mention of a, a service, and unfortunately I can't remember the name of it. But basically, it's a, a website that's kind of sprung up that kind of aggregates content. So you know, normally we do Twitter feed, particularly mine. It's I've got to that point where I'm finding just that kind of over, tipped over the edge where my Twitter timeline moves too quick to be able to follow sometimes necessarily one subject. So they've got websites that aggregate those hashtags and pull in information from Facebook and you know all sorts you know just providing a single view so it's you know it's it's a growing phenomenon i can only see that you know growing and growing yeah, so, yeah. I, mean, I, I know um you know when if i watch the formula one i a time shifted which quite happens quite often with family commitments and everything that i actually make a point of not going on twitter that day because <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I don't want to see and i think it's um i mean you know it's even to the kind of point that social etiquette's growing up, you know, where it's like if a TV show, a TV series is on, it's kind of a, a gentleman's agreement that you don't tweet about it for two or three <laughs> right. days, and then. But if it's a sports show, it's well tough, you know. If you're not watching it live, you've got to expect people are going to talk about it, and so this, exactly this, this whole kind of uh, you know etiquette growing up around it is quite quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, moving on. Um into kind of some some more general mobile news. Um, HTC is lowering its uh, expectations for the next quarter, uh, for the fourth quarter, uh, in terms of earnings, Um, which is pretty crazy because, uh, you know, HTC, it kind of reminds me of Apple when it comes to the earnings, when it comes to quarterly earnings, right? It feels like every time they they announced earnings, it was, oh, we beat expectations. Oh, you know, it was an uh, increase in profit by this much, increasing revenues. And um, always extremely positive news. Um, well, it looks like the, the streak is over. Um, 
And I think the most recent quarterly earnings um, were either flat or lower than expected, but it looks like um, the, the expectations have been lowered once again for the fourth quarter. Um, I think that's very reflective of kind of the route that HCC has taken. I mean, if you go back and listen to from TDL Mobile number one until now, I think you can definitely hear the change in tone as far as I'm concerned in terms of um, how much of a fan of HCC I was. So I went from being a, this huge HCC fanboy, probably as much as people love their Apple products, that's how much I love my HCC phones. And over time, it's just their innovation, I feel, diminished. Um, their quality even feels like it took a hit quite a bit. Um, so I, I think that reflects kind of the, the change uh, of HCC, that it's no longer this innovative powerhouse that's putting out all the best handsets in the market. Um, and I think I've said this uh, on, on recent shows that it feels like Samsung is starting to kind of fill that gap. Now, Samsung's still using materials that I'm not a big fan of, but it, it's kind of starting to, to kind of fill that gap that HCC once really had a strong stronghold in. Um, I mean, obviously, their, their latest thing is they're, they're doing these Beats um, handsets. I don't know how much that's going to help, though. I mean... You know, I, since the the HCC Desire Z, I haven't really seen anything really major in terms of innovation that that kind of catches your attention and says, "Ooh, I want that phone." Yeah, I mean, I've said before. I mean, I remember when I first lifted the lid off the HD2, and that was for me that was a phone that really struck, especially with the the size of the screen. It was you know one of the biggest ones at the time, and but um, but yeah, I mean, they've certainly kind of started just to throw out a very common thread of, of phones you know all very same you know i was also wondering while you were while you were talking that maybe um is it also that um as smartphones go more and more more and more mainstream is it that the consumer demands low and low prices so their margins are also shrinking at the same time that their innovation is yeah so uh, I hate to see HCC go through this, especially because it feels like you know, just yesterday it was it was at the top of the game in terms of manufacturing. Um, hopefully, they can kind of pick things back up. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, all, all my Windows mobile devices were were HTC, albeit rebranded. But so, um, so yeah, and, and as I said before, it was the, the HTC HD7 that I wanted, but didn't end up getting it. So, I, yeah, I certainly like to see HTC, you know, ride this and and come out the other side and start start innovating again. Yep. Yeah. Um, looks like manufacturers are having. Uh, trouble and you know trying to decide what materials to use for ultrabooks. So you know we know that there's a, been a flood of ultrabooks, uh, but because of um, I mean partly of cost um, supply, it's starting to to get difficult for them to justify to use the unibody aluminum um, bodies for the ultrabooks, and it looks like they're gonna 
be looking for alternatives, um, you know, possibly plastics um, for the, the Ultrabooks and leave the, the aluminum unibodies for their kind of higher end uh, de- designs and, and devices. Which is a, a bummer because that the unibody aluminum feels so nice, right? Um, it's it, it feels great. It obviously provides a, a more sturdy chassis. And if they're going to kind of fall back and go to you know those ugly plastic casings, um, I don't know how appealing Ultrabooks would actually be at that point. Yeah, I guess it depends what people's motivations are for buying it. Is it purely about the weight and slimness, or like you say, is it really about that you know for that feel of quality and I have a feeling if you if you're looking at one of these ultra books i think it's it's definitely quality is a big part of it oh yeah i mean that's that's where it gets the comparison to the macbook air the fact that it's uh i mean that the asus uh zenbook for example it really caught my attention because it looks great it looks amazing and it got a lot of comparisons um to the MacBook Air, obviously it looks like a MacBook Air, but a lot of it has to do with uh, that that aluminum chassis. So I don't know. Hopefully they they find some type of solution. But uh, if they're going to move over to back to the kind of glossy plastic, uh, really flimsy materials, then that's going to kind of defeat the purpose, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I remember my Zeus netbook that had that shiny plastic, and it was just a fingerprint magnet. Magnet, it was just just yeah. looked awful within you know thirty seconds of well, even if you just looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> just, but, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, moving on um, to some rim news. Are they, are uh, they looks, still here? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how much longer. I mean, I obviously they finally got the hint and. They dropped the price for the playbook to two hundred dollars. Um, they say it's just a temporary price. Uh, you know, they claim to be just kind of like a to get a, a holiday boost on the playbook. Um, but uh, obviously, they're feeling pressure from other manufacturers, namely, you know, now, now that the Kindle's out and the the Nook tablet is out at two hundred and two fifty respectively. Um, you know, it's about time that they lower because. I mean, really, did they really expect people to pay six and seven hundred dollars for the playbook? You know, for for a tablet that really has no ecosystem at this point, that has no mail client. Um, at two hundred dollars, you know, I could definitely see more people buying it. I mean, when I saw that it dropped to two hundred dollars, honestly, I felt kind of compelled to buy one because <laughs> I was like, "Come on, it's two hundred dollars." Yeah. But uh, you know, then logic kicked in. It's like, "Come on, it's a playbook." Um. But yeah, um, maybe it'll help them. I don't think it will. At this point, I think it's too late. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see that the updated uh, playbook is supposed to be just around the corner as well. We'll see what that holds. But with uh, Adobe killing off Flash, um, I think that's going to be a major hit definitely to the to the playbook OS. Um, they're going to have to move quick. Uh, if they really want to catch up, but I don't see a lot of people kind of looking to rim for a tablet. No, I mean, <clears throat> HP showed with WebOS that, you know, if you get the price right, you know, people will buy it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, by the truckload, but it, I just, I don't think rim's in that situation where it can afford that kind of loss leader. Well, not only that, but it's it's a little too late to try to compete on price, right? If yeah. they would have dropped it to $200 a few months back, 
before there was a Kindle Fire, before there was a Nook tablet, maybe. But now, I mean, for $200, you can, are you going to go with Amazon's Kindle Fire, which has a full blown ecosystem? It has, uh, the video, it has the App Store, right? The, it leverages, uh, Android apps are developed in Amazon's, Amazon's App Store. Um, you have your books, you have music. I mean, it has a tight ecosystem that, it, that it can rely on. You know, or am I going to go with BlackBerry, uh, with the BlackBerry playbook? You know, kind of janky. OS is not evolved. Uh, I know I have no email client. I know it's going to be missing key features there. And there's really no apps out there for it. No ecosystem in terms of content to be able to get to. So, you know, I, I think that the choice would be obvious there. And, you know, if I'm going to spend $200, I'm going to go with, with the Kindle Fire. Um, if this was six months ago, before there was a $200 ta- tablet option, it would have been huge. I mean, you, like you said, that, you know, when WebOS, when HP put out the, the Fire Sale for $100 HP touchpad, $150 HP touchpad, people couldn't get them, you know, within hours, they were gone. So yeah. at, at this point, that price drop is a little, a little too late. I mean, if they really w- want to, <clears throat> you know, cause a, a ruckus, then the price should be dropped to something like fifty dollars. You know, and obviously that's way too extreme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, I mean I know this is a, a mainly a publicity stunt, and I'm sure also a, a cost saving on on a Dell's perspective. But I mean, Dell have, have finally done what they said a year ago and replaced. 15,000 Blackberries um, with Windows Phone. So, you know, that must, that's obviously a big corporate client potentially going. And, you know, just uh, I think the only thing RIM can maybe do is somehow capitalize on the fact that, um, you know, a young target market seems to find the Blackberry exciting. But I, I don't think you can necessarily build a business on that or rather sustain a business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into the next story, Windows Phone 7? Yeah, and I mean, there was a couple of posts on the on the Windows Phone blog um, about um, more updates, but I don't necessarily we talk about that every week, and it does get a bit a bit boring. So I thought it just uh, uh, Rafael Riviera um, kind of had a, a post up, um, kind of following on from their launch of the Chevron WP7 Labs tool um, to unlock um, the phone. Um, he's they obviously collecting some data as they do in kind of exchange and just interesting he was um, saying you know given that there's really only roughly maybe 20 models or something um, distinct phone types so for example the Omnia 7 the the Samsung Focus S the um, Lumia 800 that you know they really expected to just see a database of those um, phone types but actually the database contains 50 distinct phones um, with all sorts of variations, some with um, carrier branding tagged on the end. Um, and basically kind of the gist of the story was it, that, you know, it's actually quite amazing when you look at that, those statistics that the Mango Roller actually went as smoothly as it, as it did because, I mean, it's, what, two months, I think, now since Mango released. And, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much now 100% of devices, as I say, they it's now available in, on the Omnia 7 and Telefonica and the, even the Samsung um, Focus one, Revision 1.4, which is just unheard of to get an update, has actually had the <laughs> update released. So, 
you know, just uh, just thought it was an interesting twist on my normal boring rant about updates. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it just it just got. I mean, the interesting for me was the fact that you know Windows Phone, the big fanfare was Windows Phone. You know, we're going to let OEMs innovate a bit, but it's locked down in terms of the hardware. And we've we've talked before how you know Windows Phone OEMs are failing to really. Um, launch a handset that kind of stands out from the crowd and yet here you are with actually there are so many different variations that clearly that those tight guidelines have been relaxed somewhere right uh yeah definitely very very interesting um well you know how i feel about that so (laughs) yeah exactly but i'll uh, leave it at that i'll tell you one one thing i will say um there was a there was um uh, an update released for Windows Phone last week, I think it was, um, fixing the Exchange 2003 um, issue um, and also uh, another bug that escapes me. But that rollout went pretty smoothly. I mean, one of the questions I said after the Mango rollout was, well, can Microsoft do the same with bug fixes? You know, iOS, like with the battery issue, there's a bug in iOS. You can pretty much guarantee Apple will release um, across the board an update within a very short time frame, whereas it was it was interesting for me to see that Microsoft managed the same with with a with a fix for Windows Phone. So, but uh, yeah, and the next story I had is a, a pretty tenuous link for for uh, TDR Mobile, but it was just that the Xbox 360 dashboard, which is um, which is because I've I've got and I'm not allowed to talk about it because I'm under NDA, but Microsoft <laughs> actually ran an ad during the um, the X Factor in the UK showing off all the new features, saying this is coming soon. It's like <laughs> great. I'm not allowed to talk about it, but you're allowed to advertise it on primetime national TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean the only reason why I included it is just that Major Nelson on his blog announced that the the Xbox dashboard is coming to everyone on December the sixth, which includes the new Metro look. Um, so for me, it was just it's just kind of the next stage in Microsoft's roller coaster um, of, of kind of trying to um, have a common strategy. They're three screens in the cloud. Um, you know, it's just another step along that road of having their devices look and feel and operate in a very similar fashion, which I think you know might um, help eventually to kind of increase sales of Windows Phone. Yeah, uh, definitely a. A fresh strategy, right? I think one big complaint that Microsoft fans have had for the longest time is that it seems like none of their divisions really talk to each other. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, the, I think the most recent example of frustration from consumers, um, well, I shouldn't even say consumers, but I should probably say geeks, <laughs> is, uh, you know, when, when Windows Home Server came out, it seemed like such a perfect way to integrate Media Center into it, right? It seemed, yeah. it seemed like such a perfect vehicle for pool tuners, uh, for central storage uh, to be able to, to um, you know, have all these HCPCs around the house and have the home server serve its purpose as a server. Um, but you know, apparently that was that was too pie in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Redmond. Um, and, and I mean, the same can be said for a lot of their products. There seems to be no really tight integration, like nobody's speaking to each other. So to see this strategy kind of start to take shape um, and actually be deployed where there's going to be, at, at a minimum, a, a common interface um, across the board, um, definitely interesting. And I'm definitely 
glad to see that's that's starting to happen because I feel like it might lead to maybe some closer integration across the board as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to 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 see what we end up talking about in twelve months' time when Microsoft strategy, hopefully with Windows 8 RTMing, you know, really kind of comes together because you know we had when we had Ed Button on show seventy four, one of the the big points he made was the fact that Microsoft just don't have a strategy like Apple do. You know, you pick up and when the iPad launched, anyone that used an iPhone could pick up an iPad and instantly know how to use it and interact with it, whereas Microsoft strategy has just been all over the place. Windows Mobile got skinned left, right, and center. Windows 7, touch completely touch unfriendly. So again, got skinned with third-party overlays that because of touch wasn't necessarily inherent in Windows 7. It was it's kind of a a layer above the a layer above the core operating system that those overlays and skins just were, the performance was really awful. And so you just couldn't pick up one Microsoft device and then move to another one and, and instantly know how to do it. And I think that was the biggest thing for me when Windows Phone launched and then they started talking about Windows 8 was that finally, you know, they'd they, they kind of have a strategy that meant you could flow across one device to another. But I think, like I said at the start, I think it's maybe a little bit too late because people aren't just going to have one device from one ecosystem or one platform anymore. They're going to have multiple platforms in the house. Yeah. So yeah. then it's so then it's a question of can Microsoft evolve into that culture where their um Xbox works just as well with an iPad. Yeah, true. Very true. Well, we'll see how how that uh evolves and takes form. All right, um moving on some I just thought this was interesting. Um, the Verge published a story about um, the the HP Palm acquisition, um, and you know how much uh, acquiring Palm really cost uh, HP, um, especially with you know it, it looks like WebOS is going to be killed off or, or sold off at a bare minimum. Um, but the 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 final. Um, Numbers, um, I believe, uh, came in at 3.3 billion, um, that HP spent, uh, just killing the WebOS group. Um, that, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I, I think the original amount spent on it, the original purchase amount was 1.2 billion. Uh, so if you consider that difference, the fact that uh, a total 3.3 billion went into just killing off WebOS makes you wonder why they went that route to begin with, right? I mean, I know we said a lot about uh, the CEO at the time, Leo Pothiker, being a, a, a business guy, a, a, a server guy, enterprise guy, and wanting to, to go that route. But I mean, come on, to spend 3.3 billion just to kill off, you you would figure they would have been better off just taking that 3.3 billion loss and and still dropping the price of the touchpads to, you know, 100 and 150 dollars and you know, get some market share and and then kind of look at the the long game, right? Um rather than just spend 3.3 billion killing off a product that uh, I feel still has a place in this uh in in this market. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I remember when it was first announced that HP bought WebOS and it just, it kind of just seemed to make sense because you could see WebOS 
cropping up in their printers, in their scanners, you know, just across their whole ecosystem and having, you know, a touchpad or um, the um, their mobile their mobile devices just, you know, working seamlessly, uh, you know, because HP, you know, the printers, HP printers in pretty much everyone's homes, you know, they um, you know, it just it just seemed to make sense, and I really thought it was going to go somewhere. And I, I still think it's such a shame that companies buy a product just to and end up ruining it. And you know, something that has some real potential and some some real future potential, you know, it just disappears into into nothing, to dust. Mhm. Yeah. So That's just it. thought it was it was uh, interesting, and just want to take the opportunity to, you know, once again. Offer my dismay at uh, WebOS kind of <laughs> going by the wayside, but yeah, no, like I said, I think it's a, a real shame, and that that kind of money just kind of makes you feel even thicker. <laughs> yeah, I should have plowed it into Rim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So last week I talked about the Galaxy Nexus being released and all the positive reviews it uh, received and whatnot, but. Uh, just like uh, any other first-gen product, it looks like uh, it has its issues that are being discovered. Um, you know, last week I talked about the lack of um, visual voicemail and the fact that the APIs are apparently there, but it's just waiting for a third party pretty much to enable it. Um, well, something else that appears to be missing is uh, USB mass storage mode. Uh, so, you know, traditionally you plug in your... Android handset into your computer and you can access it via uh, USB uh, mass storage for, you know, transfer files, move them over, whatnot. But um, it looks like the Galaxy Nexus, for some reason, does not support it. Um, it's not an ice cream sandwich limitation. Uh, it looks like any other device running ice cream sandwich will be able to support USB mass storage mode uh, without an issue. But for some reason... Um, the, ne- the Galaxy Nexus uh, just does not support it. Um, it um, looks like it has something to do with um, really just the the standard used on there, but you're going to have to be forced to use the, the Android uh, file transfer app in order to, to move files back and forth rather than just the usual drag-and-drop mode uh, offered by USB mass storage. Did I um I, I can't remember. I'm pretty certain I saw a news story that the the first person in the UK to pick up the Galaxy Nexus actually ended up having to return it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. I think it got a developer release on it or something, or a, yeah. or a debug release. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but yeah, they had to return it. <laughs> I did Pretty have a little funny. chuckle. Yeah. Um, another bug that was found on the Galaxy Nexus has to do with the uh, with the volume. Um, and this one's kind of dangerous because apparently it, it, somehow it's related to to two G data, but uh, apparently the volume will be dropped down all the way to zero or to mute without you really doing anything, without you asking it to. It, it just it just kind of mutes itself. Uh, which is not good because then, you know, you can't hear notifications. If somebody's calling you, you won't hear your phone ring. <laughs> um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, now, people initially thought it was going to be a, a hardware fix. Uh, I'm sorry, a hardware issue, which is kind of scary, right, because they would have no fix. But apparently it is a um, uh, something to do with software. Um, so there is a, a fix on the way. Um 
and uh, the way that that Google is is describing the issue is that there's uh, some type of faulty interaction between the software and the hardware. Uh, but but there is a software fix for it. Um, there's no timeline given for the fix yet. Um, but um, you know there there is a, a fix coming hopefully sooner rather than later. I hope really soon because yesterday I couldn't help myself and I ordered a Galaxy Nexus. <laughs> you said you probably would. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, I ordered it. Uh, I'm actually hoping I can cancel my order because the the importer I usually use apparently just got a stock and he's here in California, which means I can actually drive up and get it tomorrow. Um, and um, so maybe I can cancel this and and rather than wait for the shipment, I can um, you know pick it, just pick it up tomorrow. But <laughs> so you uh, you didn't go for the razor in the end then? No. Well, I mean the razor isn't. Widely available yet? It's only the Verizon ver- version. I need uh, an unlocked GSM version. So it's, it's interesting about the volume bug because that reminds me I've talked before about the first Windows Mobile device. So that they did the same thing. The volume would just stop working, and you could sometimes get away with just um, muting it and unmuting it, and it would come back. But quite often you had to reboot the whole phone. So it's quite interesting. I guess it. I guess potentially it's just kind of the sound drivers crashing or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very odd bug to have. So do I see a uh, a, a very famous phone now <laughs> still refusing to die? Yeah, so... <laughs> this will make John this happy. Is, this is the, the super phone here, uh, and we've talked about it before, but uh, Android 4.0 apparently ported to the HD2, uh, which, as I will remind listeners, the HD2 originally ran Windows Mobile 6.5. Yeah. Uh, so pretty awesome to see it running Ice Cream Sandwich. That's some, I mean, that's some serious life out of that phone. I mean, I, I was really vocal when um, when Windows Phone was first unveiled, and you know, I, it was kind of it, to and fro in whether or not H, the HD2 would officially receive a Windows uh, Phone 7 update, and then it was announced that no, absolutely, it wasn't going to because of the hardware buttons. In fact, it didn't meet the hardware specifications, but Clearly, the phone was, you know, pretty much apart from a few layout of buttons and a few spec bumps, it was clearly the same as a HD7, and it just seems such a shame that, you know, such a great phone wasn't supported. So it's really good to see it living on and on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. That's just, you know, anyone that but anyone that got that device must be, you know, in these things cost a lot of money, you know, to get this kind of life out of it and actually have it running ice cream. You know, the latest operating system is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, pretty awesome to see that. We'll see if John busts out his HD2 and and has a, a tinker with it. Yeah, I can't remember if he. I think he might have actually ended up selling it. I can't remember now. I know he was. Did talking he? About, yeah, I know he was talking about it, but then he kept getting new releases of either Android ROMs or Windows Phone got hacked onto it, and so I th- he may well have ended up kind of hanging onto it and hanging onto it. So he might still have it. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully he still has them. I mean, I have mine, so I might have to pull it out and, and test it out as well. Yeah, it would be certainly be interesting. Yeah. Well, that's that's about all I have. Yeah, I haven't really haven't really got anything other than that. As I briefly mentioned before we started recording, that a, a friend of mine who'd been waiting for Nokia. 
come along with their Windows phones for jumping jumping into Windows Phone, got his uh, Lumia 800 turn up, and unfortunately plugged it in, turned it on, and it, it kind of buzzed, showed the splash screen, and then died. <laughs> 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 Which is pretty yeah. disappointing to hear, and he was, you know, pretty gutted, as you can imagine, you know. Um, d- didn't have a very good... Have, have much luck getting the thing replaced so I think he's actually ended up cancelling it and, and maybe going to try and get one from somewhere else but I think, I hope that's not you know, I know it's easy to make a, a mountain out of a molehill but I hope that's not something of a, of a wider issue because really Nokia needs that phone to be solid as a rock mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely That that's a horrible feeling when you're so excited to, you know, get get a new toy and then it's just not working Horrible yeah, I did. I did. Uh, did make the instant reaction of if you tried taking the battery out and putting it back in again because the uh, Lumia engine was a sealed device, so we couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Which kind of, you know, kind of, some ways, kind of tells you that, that these sealed devices aren't. You know, you kind of sometimes you want to take the battery out and let the thing completely, completely reset. But yeah, okay. yeah. All right, well, I think uh, we can wrap it up. Um, don't forget, you can reach us at mobile at the digitallifestyle.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Jose Ortiz. I'm at Database Jace. John is at John Dickinson. Sheldon is at Sheldon W. And Ian is at I.S. Dixon. Be sure to check out the other shows on uh, the digitallifestyle.com, uh, including this week's new little pilot show, uh, the uh, TDL Gaming Um I haven't had a listen to it, but I'm very interested because uh, apparently they just uh, a couple of nine-year-old kids uh, review the latest Xbox games. So. Yeah, the little, the little mini Dixons. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I must admit, I'm gonna take a, take a listen to that because I thought it was a really interesting twist that they're not reviewing actual games; they're reviewing the demos of games. Right, right. Well, I mean, my kids, the um, before um, Pirates of the Caribbean Lego game came out. They they played the demo for hours, just the same level over and over. It just they got so much fun out of it. So I think it's a, an interesting twist. And then of course there's the uh, the Edbot and Mike Halsey podcast. Yep, World of Windows. Yeah. So definitely, definitely check them out. Yep. Um, and think that about does it. So be sure to tune in next week for show 97, getting close to that 100 certainly is yeah all right so uh until next oh and i will uh wish to my fellow yanks a happy thanksgiving today's thanksgiving for us so yeah happy thanksgiving to everyone in the u.s i think that'll do it so uh i'll talk to you next week jace yeah cheers all right see ya bye